Today's episode of the Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by Microsoft Teams. Hey, NBA Show fans, we all know meetings. Struggling to pay attention? Files seem impossible to find? We're secretly streaming the game on our laptop while nervously tapping our foot below the conference room table. And if you're not in a room, you're not in the know. Luckily, there's a solution for all the meeting-related issues that we constantly complain about. Welcome to the new slam dunk to work together, Microsoft Teams. Using Microsoft Teams is one play that's guaranteed to work every time, where you can contribute to meetings from anywhere, even on the court. Chat with coworkers so you're never out of the loop, find all your files, and even edit them in real time in one convenient place. The greatest NBA teams have mastered the art of communication and organization. When you're ready to unleash the power of your team, open Teams, because meetings of the past are for rookies, right? There is nothing worse than having to go to a meeting at a time that you don't have to be there anyway. So, like, you have to go to some kind of early meeting when you wouldn't normally be there that early, and then you've gone to a meeting that probably wasn't even about you, and then you got to sit around for a long time. I'd give anything to have Microsoft Teams, because then I could just pull up my computer, and now I'm, I'm part of the meeting, and I don't have to be down at the office for the meeting that wasn't about me anyway. Learn more about how to improve your work efficiency at Microsoft.com slash Teams. That's Microsoft.com slash Teams. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and this Friday is the last without Kevin O'Connor. He will be back with us next week for the mismatch, but filling in once again from the Ringer.com is Jonathan Charks. Hey, Charks. Hey, man. I have to get my takes out one more time, I guess, before KOC gets back. Well, you may have some today, considering we have had a very busy week, including last night. Uh, the game that I ended up probably watching the most of was the Oklahoma City-Sacramento game because Sacramento had been playing good basketball lately, and though they were going to be without De'Aaron Fox, it it looked recently like, hey, they may end up being able to jump up in this mix. We have talked about the teams that are going to be fighting for that eighth seed, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Blazers, the Spurs, but then Sacramento, because of their... Uh, because of their recent play, had gotten within, well, even after last night's loss, a half a game of the Spurs, and they were only going to be one game behind both Portland and New Orleans. So they were kind of getting in the mix. Well, um, you know what them, right, Chris? What happened with, with Sacramento? What's that? Your guy Bagley was out. They started winning games. <laughs> That's not the reason they started winning games. Trust me. <laughs> um, they have had such a strange season, but they've been playing well. They were playing great last night, and they're up on Oklahoma City big. And then, of course, gacked it away, and you get into the fourth quarter, and you get into a close game with Chris Paul. And again, we talked about this earlier in the week, Charks, and this is the reason that I really like Oklahoma City when it comes playoff time as a team that I would not want to be facing. Um and it's because it seems like when when push comes to shove and you're in these nip-tuck games down the stretch, this guy delivers over and over again, whether he's getting in the lane and making a shot or he's setting somebody else up. He just takes over games. Yeah, they've maximized what they have. And like we talked about earlier this week, that three-point guard lineup has been killing teams. 
But when you're talking playoffs and you're talking a first-round series against an elite team, I still have some questions. Like, do you think they could beat Houston for real? But are they playing an elite team? Houston's pretty good. They've been killing us since that trade. Houston might not end up being the four seed. We know that, right? Like, and they may end up being getting higher, considering that the way they played. They're only they're look. They're a game back from the Clippers. They're two games back from the Nuggets. Houston may keep on winning. You know, I mean, they're eight and two in their last ten. They've won five in a row. They've been playing, as you said, great. They got the third best point differential. I, I guess actually the fourth best point differential uh, in the uh, in the conference. I, I could. I could certainly see Houston moving up. But even if you want to say that, I mean, I saw Oklahoma City beat them twice this year. But that was before the trade. They were not very good before the trade. All right, let me and let me speak on this because I know, look, inevitably there's going to be people coming out there that say, oh, you're just a Houston hater. You just hate Harden. And so, of course, that's what you think. Look, I like their style of play. I obviously watched them destroy the Grizzlies the other night. I like this whole uh, five short guys thing. I think it's very difficult to match up with. But here's what I would say. And you and I talked about college basketball, interestingly enough, earlier in the week, uh, or maybe it was last week. And we, when we were talking about John Beeline, and then we were talking about Shaka Smart and some other guys. And those guys were like each other in the sense that in college basketball, you play against somebody when it gets to the NCAA tournament that you cannot replicate and you and is very difficult to face. And so it could be a the Mike Anderson teams that pressed you the entire time or even Bruce Pearl's early Tennessee teams or it could be Shaka Smart's VCU teams or it could be this 1-3-1 that John Beeline was running at West Virginia and then uh some at Michigan or it can be Syracuse and their 2-3 zone. Um, that uh, they could have a, a not that great of a team that ends up going very deep in the NCAA tournament because teams just don't see it enough and it's very hard to replicate. And I'm saying all that to tell you that I really believe that that's what's going on with the Rockets. And I do believe that the rest of the season, they are going to win like hell. They changed this in the middle of the season. All right. These NBA teams do not practice during the season very much. And so when you switch and you're comfortable with it in the middle of the season, and then you're not playing anybody like this, any other game, you're going to get beat. But when it comes time that a team can prepare for it and a team can just decide, okay, there is only one team that I have to focus on, that's where I think it will come into play. And that's why I don't think that this will be as dangerous as it looks during the regular season. And people can discount my opinion on this or not, but this is what I would tell you, that with those teams, say that Syracuse team that I was talking about two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was now, that Miles Bridges, Jaron Jackson Jr., that whole Michigan State team. Oh, that I had, was brutal. I remember I, that. Yeah, I had, I had, or even you could go back to the Oladipo, uh, Cody Zeller team. I mean, that was two lottery picks on one team. They got beat by a zone. Uh, But anyway, go back to that Michigan State team, okay? So they play Syracuse in the one-off. They get knocked out. Second round of the tournament. A team which I will forever remember because I had them winning the tournament that year, all right? I promise you, if that Michigan State team got to play them seven times, it is a different story, Charks. But if you play them in a one-off, you're dead. And I do think that is the case with a lot of these NBA teams. They're not going to be practicing. You don't really know how to match up or what you want to do against it. 
and they're going to beat the crap out of people. I really believe that. Um, but I do think when given the extra time to prepare that it's not going to be one of those things where people say, well, what do you do? How do you match up? These guys are smart coaches and they will figure out how to punish Houston for doing what they do. I mean, maybe, right? Like Quinn Snyder's a smart coach. Utah had two years to match up with Houston and they came up with nothing, right? So like, let's talk matchups. If you're the OK, in the OKC series, do you think they can keep Adams on the floor against Houston? Like, how is that going to happen? I think you punish them for being small. You know, interestingly enough, years ago, and it's a different lineup because they had that front line of Adams. They bring in Perkins. They had Ibaka. They had Durant. And they and that's the way they were able to take uh, a Golden State to the brink. You know, slow the game down. Now we're playing the game uh, at, at, at my pace. We're playing a game more in the 90s than in the 120s, and I'm just destroying you on the on the on rebounding. Like but I'm, there's a key word there, Chris. Uh, Durant. Yeah, if they had Durant, yeah, but he's not walking through that door in Oklahoma City. You you punish people for going small. The other thing is, of all the teams, Oklahoma City plays three guards to devastating result. <laughs> Why would they be? Because <laughs> I think would the issue is. They use Adams so much in the pick and roll. Like their whole game is pick and roll with a big. And so, like, will that big Adams or Gallinari, right? If you spread it out and they're going to screen their man onto Harden and Westbrook. So, like, Gallo and Adams, can those guys stay on the floor defensively? That to me is the question. All right. I think that when you get, when it, go, when it comes down to it and somebody is going to be able to prepare for them that they are going to be able to give them problems, much more problems than what we are seeing. I don't think this is as devastating in the playoffs as it is during the regular season, but them doing it in the middle of the season is, I mean, it's genius. I guess my question for you, Chris, so we've been talking about the teams you don't want to see. Who's the team you want to see at a two, three, four. Is it Denver? So it's Denver Clippers Rockets, right? They're all in the same mix. Oh, 100%. who would you want to see if you're Oklahoma City? Right, yeah, it's Denver, uh, right? A hundred percent. Look, and and this is not a slight on Denver. I love the collection of talent that they have. Um, well, I mean, I guess you could say it's a slight, but I mean, you got to prove it. They won in seven games against the Spurs, and then and then Dame did them in in the second round, you know. And yeah, so, see, to me, my question with Denver is, do you trust Murray and Harris? I feel like Jokic kind of carries them in the regular season, and those guys didn't play very well last year in the playoffs. Murray had moments, for sure, certainly in that Spurs series. Um, but again, like, I, I, I just, no. No, the answer, like, when it, when, that's what I'm talking about. These games, they typically come down to who's the best guy on the court, or at least the the guy that's the true alpha, and I'm going to take over this game, and I'm winning this game. End of story. And that's why, to me, Paul scares me, because he's got the ball in his hands, too. So that's why Paul scares me more. You know, because these uh, so many of them, you know, it comes down to the very end, and it is close in the last five minutes. And that's the guy I would want. Like I'm saying, and I tweeted this last night, past the L.A. teams, they're the team that I would be most fearful of. Interesting. So yes. you think they're the third best team in the West? I think they are the team that I would be. That's think, a pretty good take. I like it. Yeah. I, well, Oklahoma City is the one I wouldn't want to see. Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. They are Interesting. the ones that I would not want to see. They got a good home court advantage. 
And they got real talent on that team now. And Paul See, but is, my concern, Chris, like, it, is now again, The concern They're is Chris Paul deep. being healthy. He has not stayed healthy throughout playoffs. So he has to stay healthy. But if you told me I'm getting totally healthy Chris Paul... Because, like, to me, they start Luke Wensdort on a two-guard. And then their other wings off the bench are Terrence Ferguson, Abdel Nader, and Hamadou Diallo. Like, that's my concern. I feel like they don't have a lot of lineups they can go to outside of their three-point guards. They only have the one weapon. Like, I don't trust any of those guys in the series. But everything tightens up so much in the playoffs. Right? In terms I mean, of number of players who are playing? Yeah. I mean, you shorten everything. I think you still need about six or seven guys, though. You need like five oh. guys you trust and a closer and one or two guys off the bench. I agree with you. I agree with you. And they just can't get stomped when they don't have Paul or whoever on the floor. Now, immediately when I said that, I, I got the whole, hey, did you forget about Houston? What about Houston? Right? This kind of stuff. Like Houston, to me, I look at it and I say, look, look, they have two devastating players and it appears that if they're, go they're going to be able to be awesome at the same time. There's a couple of things. Number one, their third guy, I think was especially, you know, and you would get into these playoff games, you would say Eric Gordon, right? There's no question. Unquestionably, it's Gordon. Okay. He's had some big moments in the last couple of years. Well, but he's playoffs. also, he's hurt. And he's been, and he's been bad and hurt all year. So if you just say, hey, we're going to take this one guy out, not out, but he ain't getting 40. All right. Then, when it comes playoff time, who are you counting on? Who are you counting on? This guy is going to give it to me that night. I feel like I trust this uh, because that's what happens. I mean, you look, you watched it for years with Harden and Durant. Uh, I'm sorry, with, uh, with Westbrook and Durant, where you would just decide, like, one or the other, we're going to try to focus on them and that they don't get their monster numbers, or if they do, they do it on an extreme amount of shot attempts. So if they score 30, they're not doing it on 17 shots. They're doing it on 30 shots, right? Mm -hmm. And and so who's the next guy that steps up, you know, after, after those two? Once you get past those two. But see, to me, I trust Houston's guys in their roles. They've got a lot of wings with size who can shoot. So you have Covington, you have Daniel House, you have guys who are going to spread the floor. And those OKC teams, you could load up onto Westbrook and Durant because they had no shooting. They're playing so, like Cephalosha and Andre Robertson big minutes. I understand. Is it, so you would take Covington's a guy? It's tough because like he's not the guy to score, obviously. That's I what think, I'm saying. But I I think, mean, you, you, you are going to need that, though. They, these things slow down. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to be playing I say, them. I will trust. I do trust Gordon. I think like if I'm taking between Gordon like Dennis Schroeder, I'd take Gordon over him. Fair enough. They, uh, I mean, he's gotten some chops in the playoffs. He's a good defender. He can get hot. He's a pretty good ball handler, too. Let me tell you who is extremely confident in what they've got going, and that is James Harden. And James oh, Harden, some good one. This is good. He did a sit-down with Rachel Nichols, and I feel like this hasn't really been blown up yet. People aren't— well, Let's I blow it up, then. I haven't seen a lot of conversation about it, um, but he, he does at one point say he thinks he's the best player in the league. He does uh, seem a bit miffed at the idea that, like, say, NBA.com has, like, a, an MVP ladder, and he's not even in the top five, to which he says, I'm still leading the league in scoring. Um, and he says that, you know, there will come a day where people appreciate it more. Um, 
And then it gets to the best part of this interview, which is her bringing up and shout out to Rachel Nichols. She brings up Giannis Antetokounmpo goofing on him on national television when it was time to pick the all-stars and you looked at the board and it was James Harden, Trey Young and Kemba Walker. And I'll let you hear the clip because they asked James Harden, Rachel asked James Harden uh, about this particular instance that was on national television. I'm between Kim by Trey Young. Wait, you don't, but want, I gotta the, go. you don't want the dribbler? <laughs> I want somebody that's going to pass the ball. That's what I want. <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo makes a joke on the air about, uh, I want to take someone who can pass. I'm taking Kemba Walker instead of James Harden. I have more assist than him, I think. I don't see. I don't, I don't see what the joke is, but I don't even. I, I didn't even see it, and I don't. I don't pay attention to stuff like that. Uh, I just know none of them can mess with me. <laughs> you know, when it's when it's all said and done, um, you know, they'll appreciate it more. You know, but I wish I could just run, run and with seven feet and run and just dunk. Like that takes no skill at all. <laughs> I got to actually learn how to play basketball, and how to have skill. You know. I'll take that any day. Do you think that in the end, a title is going to give you the respect that you think yeah, you deserve? I mean, it is, and I will get it. You feel confident about that? Yes. Very. All right. All right, John. All right. Man. So, number one, you know, he says, I didn't see it. Of course, he had a. He obviously abso- saw it. Come on. Yeah. He had an absolute <laughs> awareness that Giannis had done that. Of course, look, these guys, their their phone goes off immediately you know, from one of their buddies. If they didn't see it, I promise you, somebody close to him within two seconds told him. Um, it's a 20-second clip. So of course he watched it. He says, I average more assists than them. Or, you know, and then he says, what's so funny about that? Like, he doesn't even, he doesn't even un- uh, get that it's humorous at all. Um, and he says, none of those guys can mess with me. But then it gets to the good part, which was, this is the clapback at Giannis which is the I wish I was seven feet and could just run down and dunk it. That doesn't take any skill. I have to have skill to do what I do. What cracked me up about that, like that is pretty funny, but isn't he also telling on himself? Like I'm the best player in the world. Man, I wish I was seven feet tall. I could dunk on people. I'd be amazing. Like, yeah, if you were that, you'd be the best player in the world. (laughs) There's (laughs) There's no high classes in basketball. Like you don't get extra points for being smaller. Is it, do, do you find Giannis Antetokounmpo to be unskilled? He's very skilled. Not as skilled as James Harden, obviously, but he's, he's very skilled. Yeah. But if you he know, was James Harden high, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be the same player he was now, obviously. But this is where you know, and look, I got to say this. Everybody knows I'm not a Harden fan. He's going to win me over if he embraces being like the heel, the villain. I mean, really. Like, just totally, everybody hates you. Just embrace it and go with it, right? Because then it's weird. The pendulum can swing. I like this. I really do. I like that he, because he's being honest. That's what he would say to his buddies. And yet he's saying it on television with Rachel Nichols. You know, he's like, that's what he really thinks. Now, he may be goofy, but he really thinks that. He really looks at it and goes, bro, yeah, got Giannis Antetokounmpo winning MVPs. Like, this guy runs down the court. He's seven foot tall. He runs out the ball. He runs out the court and just dunks, right? Like, what kind of, what, what, what does that take? Look what I'm doing. And I'm averaging X amount of points. I was averaging 37 points a game or whatever he was averaging. <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's hater stuff, but that's how he really feels. 
I mean, Clearly. yeah, he's not wrong. The degree of difficulty for what he does is much harder, right? Like, it's harder for a guy hard in size and speed to just dominate a game than Giannis. But the flip side of that is like, yeah, that's why you're probably going to lose. You know, it's harder for you. Like, Dame was about making it as easy as possible. Well, and and what I, what I like is he could have played, I got to be honest with you, he could have played the the safe role, right? I don't really pay attention to what everybody says. I just keep on playing my game and you know the in the end, you know the stats and the and the record will speak for itself, you know. You know how everybody yeah. does, right? Instead he's like, "All right, great. That's how how impressive." Like I wish I could just go down the court and run and dunk on people. Like what I have to do takes skill. Like, I mean, he is crap. You know what my thought was? He, he, <laughs> is, he is taking away from him. There's just no way around it, right? He is he is uh he's throwing uh a turd in the proverbial punch bowl on the Giannis Antetokounmpo love. Do you think this is like Westbrook's influence? Because Harden didn't really talk much before. You think this is kind of Russ gassing him up a little bit? I don't know. Russ doesn't I think he probably just takes it takes it all in. And then Rachel did a great job of asking questions that would goad him. You know that's gonna get under his skin. Like there's just no way around it. Well, because like, right, how many times has Harden really talked before? You're talking about him embracing the heel role. He really doesn't ever say anything. No. Well, oh, and, 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 and Westbrook. So I don't know how much influence that is because Westbrook doesn't talk at all. Like, if, like, I listened to Rachel on with Bill Simmons last week, and he even brought it up. Like, outside of, like, maybe like a fashion interview with, like, a GQ or something, like, when is the last sit-down interview you can remember with Russell Westbrook? Like, even in the playoffs, you get Kawhi to sit down and do interviews. Like, I can't remember the last I'm time saying, I he saw gi- He gives sassy quotes, though, even if he's not doing a sit-down. Like, he'll give you something for the, you know, for the clips. Yeah, but I'm talking, like, something like that. Like, what we saw with Rachel sitting down with James Harden. Russ doesn't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't do it. Um, and now, Harden will probably never do it again, because this will get blown up. There's just no way around it. You know, unless I mean, he embraces like, the heel role, unless he goes for it. Oh yeah, and maybe and then he, he just will. said, "Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I said it." What I do takes skill. What that guy does doesn't take any skill. He's just a big mutant that dunks on people. So what? <laughs> I kind of like it, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not a bad line for sure. It, well, it makes it, it makes it a little more. Uh, it's it's like wrestling or something. It um, makes it. They have a game one in a couple of weeks that kind of adds some spice to it. Does. Uh, the Lakers killed Golden State without LeBron, and one of the one of the things that came out of it is obviously the Lakers. You know, this is this is proof of worth when you even without LeBron. And I know that the the Warriors are no good, but when you can smoke people without LeBron James, it does at least give you a little bit of pride uh, that. Not totally dead without him. I know the numbers with him on the bench, pretty uh, bad. Still, yeah, they're still not good. So it's nice to, if you're a Laker fan, to see your team destroy somebody when LeBron sits down. And they did that once before. Um, Draymond, I couldn't believe that he is uh, two tech short of a one game ban because I would have figured Draymond going through this season and the level of frustration that he must be feeling, I'm actually rather impressed that he's that far away from getting a suspension. Um, oh, and the other thing is, when I looked up at the, I looked up the number of techs, 
guys have this year. This is one to keep an eye on, uh, Charks, because when I was looking this up, Westbrook is right there at the top with him. Westbrook is actually tied for first with him uh, now. So you're only a couple games away from getting a... uh, from getting another, uh, from getting a suspension, if you're if you're Westbrook, or I mean, a couple texts away, and he got one the other night in that national TV game against the Grizzlies. Didn't he get was, ejected? Uh, no, he didn't get ejected in that game. Okay. But the one he got, I think it was Kane Fitzgerald. I think that's who the ref was. But I mean, it was it was deplorable. Look, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no Rockets homer, but that that referee hates them. Harden got hit in the face, and they called a foul on Harden. And I got fair is fair. I'm watching the game, and objectively. He gave I, like Westbrook like screamed and won, and the guy gave him a tech. Like he does, like your this is one of those your reputation precedes you. But he they they he can he can get a uh, tough whistle sometimes. And there's obviously some of these refs that hate them. Um, Westbrook and Draymond are tied at the very top for the most technical fouls, and they're both two away uh, from getting a suspension. You want to try to guess? Try to guess. Have you pulled it up? The others. No, I don't have it. Okay, the others in the top five. I was shocked Ooh, man. by one of these. There's no, I mean, I really have no idea. All right. This is a tough one. Marcus Morris. Okay, that's um, not shocking. That's not shocking at all. And, and Kyle Lowry. That's not shocking either, right? Yeah. Kyle yells at the refs the whole game. Five is what shocked me. The fifth most? DeMar DeRozan. Oh wow, yeah, that is that is surprising. I would never have I would never have guessed. I mean, and then it's Jonas Valanciunas and Patrick Beverly and Trey Young are all tied, and then Andre Drummond. The DeMar DeRozan one is shocking to me. I can't believe he's that high in technical fouls. Long year down there, San Antonio. Well, and in the course of the in the course of looking that up, I went to see, I was like, I wonder how many is the most technical fouls someone's gotten. And now because they give you a suspension, if you get it, t- if, if you get oh, yeah, too many Rashid. texts, that's like the best record in the NBA. Yeah, I know like forty-one. <laughs> he had forty-one technicals in eighty games. Rashid was a legend, man. He was really a legend. I mean, forty-one. I mean, he was playing. He was playing in like Air Force Ones with the Velcro unbuckled. Like he. <laughs> He really was a legend. There'll never be another Rasheed Wallace. There will never, no one like that will ever come up again. I don't think. I mean, forty-one. You, I don't even know. I I mean, I, I could do the math. I suppose it is possible, but not with, not with losing the game checks and getting a suspension after you get them when you do now. Forty-one in eighty games. That was in the two thousand two thousand one season. Um. All right. So we covered. Uh. The Draymond and the and the Lakers killing uh, a Golden State. Regarding that particular game and those two teams, LeBron will be coming back. They have a big game against the Pelicans uh, this weekend. But there is news that uh, there's going to be a meeting and that Steph Curry could be returning. And maybe, I heard he had March one, so it'd be like Sunday. What do you think? I think it'll be good for Golden. I mean, obviously getting Steph back, but I think they got to figure out what Wiggins looks like with other good players around him. I think that's like the big question about this team because like they traded for Wiggins to get him in a smaller role, but since he's been in Golden State, he's just jacking shots like usual. It's a bad team with no talent. So he has to learn how to play a secondary role. So that'll be good practice for him. 
and that is one of the things that gets brought up is why. Why? Why is Steph Curry coming back? Right? They got a horrible record. Um, and so what? Just to like so you could win a couple games that you you wouldn't have won. But that's the truth. A basketball players love playing basketball. And so if he's uninjured and he wants to play, that's the reason. You know, because the idea is, God forbid, he get hurt at the rest of this season, which is a throwaway season anyway. And that jeopardize next season where they should be able to come back and be an outstanding team again. Um, but you do, as you said, you want to see what you've got when he's on the court and evaluate, you know, how Wiggins looks and who you want to keep and who you want to get rid of. And the other thing is the guy wants to play basketball, right? So I, there's the answers. It's not about how many, you know, they should be trying to lose as much as they can. You and I have chronicled. Uh, several times in 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 our few weeks together, Charks. This draft ain't worth, <laughs> you know. And they got a fifty billion dollar stadium with all kinds of people spending all kinds of money. Like you might want to give them some entertainment this year, at least for the last month, they could have some fun. Yeah, you only get so many shots to play at a high level. You don't want to ever take a year off because you never know if you can get it back. Right? Steph's in his thirties now. Every and he could get hurt. But he could get hurt playing pickup in the summer. So gotta let him go. What we don't know about getting back is Ben Simmons, who we talked about on Tuesday. Still no great clarity on when he will be back. And then they lost Embiid. And the news appeared to be good regarding Embiid. No major structural damage. Reevaluation in a week. And that it this is not something that would jeopardize his season or his ability to play in the playoffs. But you never know, you know, the, the reevaluation in a week, they could say, hey, he's still not better yet. Like, we we don't know a timeline. It's clear that the the Simmons thing, at least the just from what I gather from the reporting, the Simmons thing scares me a lot more if I'm a Sixers fan than the Embiid thing. Because Embiid, you know, it appears, as long as there's no big structural damage, then he'll be able to come back and I will have Joel Embiid playing for my team. It may not be the case, with Simmons, because even the, 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 there was just no great clarity on a timeline for that, Charks. Yeah, and you don't want to rush Joel Embiid back. That's like the last guy in the league you want to rush back from an injury. So oh, for sure, because I mean, look, <laughs> you, you never know, you never know when he's going to get uh, sick during the playoffs or whatever. Anyway, you don't want an injury possibly, you know, being a reason that he could be out, right? Yeah, but the Simmons thing is scary because they're not saying anything really. It's all right. very vague. Don't Let's expect him back soon. Well, okay. Another injury uh, that took place, and I actually feel bad for Phoenix because I had mentioned Sacramento getting in the mix. Phoenix had a chance to get in the mix. You know, I mean, Phoenix right now, they're a game and a half out of, 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 of the nine spot from Portland. And so, yeah, it would be a long shot, but you could. And Kelly Oubre... Bad injury, and Brutal. now they're going to be without him. And the numbers, when they were healthy, the numbers that they were able to put up when they found some lineups were actually very good. Um, but they just they've had a they've had an injury riddled season, and now losing Ubre for the rest is a killer. Yeah. So what they were doing since like early January, they had started starting Mikhail Bridges. So they were playing Rubio Booker in the backcourt. Uh, Ubre Bridges on the wings and Aiden up front. 
And those lineups were plus 20 in a significant amount of minutes. I saw them come into Dallas and smack the hell out of the Mavs a couple of weeks ago with those, with those groups of guys. And without Uber, you know, the whole thing kind of falls apart. And it's what you were talking about with the Warriors. Not having those guys together just kills your team because you don't have, you can't build chemistry. You don't know what you have. And now it's their lost season. And now you're starting to see with Phoenix, like it's hard to build a good team up if you lose guys. And now Booker's going to miss the playoffs again. And now he's coming into next year. Next year kind of feels do or die for Phoenix with Booker, doesn't it? If they're bad again next season, the clock might start ticking. I mean, yes. I mean, well, well, I mean, he he had to get in as a uh, you know if Lillard doesn't get hurt, uh, you know, in the last game before the All Star break, Booker's not in the All Star game, and so you know if you're year five it, for him, yeah, because then it is holding you back from getting individual accomplishment, and you're not playing postseason basketball, and so how many years do you want to go doing it? Yeah, and it's it's taken Phoenix probably four years to find. So they they finally have a core with a young core. They have Aiton, Ubre, Bridges, Booker, and now one of those guys is out. And now next year, it's do or die. If those guys aren't all rolling together, then you're starting over again. Now this like ten year building product goes resets to zero. Well, because and then you look and you say, okay, who do you vault? And obviously, this stuff changes. Look, nobody expected. But Dallas to have the record that they have, or Oklahoma City to have the record that they have, or the Grizzlies to have the record that they have. But it stands to reason that the, you know the, the the Blazers could very well be better. Like, look, they're not going to be worse when they bring back their guys. If they, if you assume they get the the Zach Collinses and the and the and the Nurkic's of the world back, and then the Pelicans stands to reason they could be better next year. Uh, the Kings. You know, these teams, the Timberwolves, these teams are going to be getting better too, right? And so now while you're, you found it and you're getting better, like a lot of these other teams are going to be getting better too, right? And so where do you find yourself in the pecking order? Even when you do get better, you still might be the ninth best team, you know? Because other teams have good young talent too. It makes you wonder about Memphis. Like the, the, the assumption is going to be, okay, Next year, year two with Ja, year three with Jaron. We'll keep building forward, but there are no guarantees. Like every year is a new challenge. Every year is different. And it's hard to build success long term in the West for these young teams. Well, I mean, and look, Sacramento was ready to take the leap, wouldn't you say? They added some veterans. They ended last season where they were kind of in the mix and they ended like right outside of the playoffs, but then they end up firing their coach and they do this and they, they go and they, they spend stupid money in free agency and then they bring in Luke Walton and they go do this trip before the season that messes them up and then the Buddy Heald relationship with the coach doesn't do well and they change their style because they were just flying up and down the court under Jaeger and now they were slowing it down more under Luke Walton and... Then Bogdanovich, you know, is a restricted free agent, and that they got to go through all that crap, and they piss off Buddy Heald in the offseason because they don't, you know, give him the contract that he wants until they finally do. And yeah, like you say, Charles, you never know. Wouldn't you say they were amongst the most promising? And then, you know, they ended up getting Marvin Bagley for six games, and Darren Fox got hurt this year, and Buddy Heald got mad. I mean, but if you if you had a core, look, there's very few I would have taken over them for young. You know, I mean, like to me, if you got Fox and you got Bagley and you got healed in order to stretch the floor, like 
you got to mess it up not to be able to build around that. And they they messed it up. And the margins are just so they, thin. And they got injured. Yeah, of course. And then if I look at like, to me, Phoenix and Memphis. So that, I, the undercover trade with that was that trade where they sent Javon Carter for DeAnthony Melton. And that right there could flip those two teams in the standings. And Melton's been amazing this season. And that's a trade no one was talking about in the offseason at all. Yeah, Mel- no, Melton has been fantastic. Well, and also, you know, we'll see if if Josh Jackson is able to have a career. You know, the former number three pick, he's gotten to play recently. What have you thought been, of him, by the way, in Memphis? He's been pretty good. I mean, again, they're, they're, it's in losing efforts, right? And they're obviously not um, – they're not fully stocked right now, and so he's kind of forced into being able to play. But, you know, I mean, the hope is that the kid has grown up. It's not his basketball talent. Well, well that, what about his has, jumper, though? That, that was has the concern, kept right? No, he's How has that looked? He's, no, you're still not terrified, right? Is if he they, making him, though? Can he space if, the floor? He can. He can. Mm-hmm. It's, it looks better than when he was a rookie, you know? Okay, but well, that's he, good. But he's also not the kind of guy that you – you're closing out with with the fury of hell, you know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, like well, as long they, as you're like at least closing out at all. And Phoenix has been left open all the time. Oh no, and that you obviously have to fix that in order to long term be able to guy uh, a guy that could play. But I mean, he still you know he doesn't take them. I mean, geez, it, 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 even in the few games that he's played with the Grizzlies, he's taken less than three a game, and he shot. So crappy. is he passing him up? He shot crappy, but I mean, he's he is what he is. He slashes, you know what I mean. He's more he's more apt to go to the basket, and there's still a place for guys like that. It's not, you know, it's not as prevalent as it used to be for sure, but you find a way to be effective. And he's long and athletic. I'll tell you that. Yeah, right? he's definitely an athlete. No question yeah. about that. Uh, all right, let's get to some of the other news uh, that we wanted to get to. Utah made the switch. Okay, so what happened, Chris, with your guy? What was going on with that? Do you have any idea? The story went that Mike Conley was told at shoot-around that he was going to be coming off the bench, and he went home and he took a nap, and then he came to the arena, and they said, actually, you're starting, and Ingles is going to the bench. And so... You never know. Like you like I've been through this before where sometimes I mean sometimes a, 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 like a general manager like a front office can get involved on this. Uh hmm. there's sometimes where players can get involved in this. Like I mean and, and here I'll just give you a couple examples um from my history of of being around a team. I have seen and I'll give you two situations. I've seen one time uh, when I was a very young reporter, I got, my, I got my head ripped off in a press conference by uh, Hubie Brown, who is the obviously legendary broadcaster. And I loved Hubie, let me just say. But Hubie Brown screamed at me at a press conference because I asked him about starting, uh, it was actually Bonzi Wells over Mike Miller, okay? And so I said, Here Coach, we go. I know some names. I, I know, Love huh? It. Yeah, so I, I said, uh, Coach, I noticed he started blah, blah, blah. I brought it up, and he goes, uh, you try to be a wise guy, huh? You wise guy? And I was like, I, I don't know what, what, what you're talking about. And he's like, yeah, you try to be a wise guy, huh? Real wise guy. And I was like, what are you? Like, I, 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 I'm, uh, Charks, I, I, hand to God, I'm sitting there befuddled. 
I'm like, I, I, I don't know what I did, but this, this guy is like really mad at me. You know what I mean? And I'm young and he's intimidating, right? Because mm-hmm. he's, it's like, it's like a old professor, you know, sitting up at the thing and he's like, and he's calling me out. And then everybody else is like kind of looking at me and I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. So anyways, uh, a little bit later. Uh, so the next game I go and I used to do all the pre games and I used to do all the post games. Right. So I would go there in the recorder when, when the coaches like stand outside their locker rooms. Right. Yeah. So come to find out, like after I leave the arena that night, a guy calls me. So Jerry West and Hubie Brown have had this blow up over Bonzi Wells and Mike Miller. All right. Jerry West is the GM and, and president of the team. And, 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 and Hubie is the coach. They've had a blow up, like a knockdown drag out about this. Hubie's like, you know, I've been coaching for a hundred years. I'm going to play the guys I want to play. And, and Jerry is saying, you're playing Bonzi Wells, blah, blah, blah. So they're into it over that. Right. So by the time I get to the press conference, Hubie thinks I know that that's the reason that he started the guy, right? Mm-hmm. He thinks I know and that now I'm asking about it. Now, to his credit, the next time I showed up to a pregame, he pulled me aside and apologized and basically said, you know, like, look, I, I, was, I was off base there, blah, blah, blah. You know, I didn't know. You know, because I said, look, man, I didn't know anything. I promise. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I just noticed that we had a different guy starting, and I had no idea that there had been some knockdown drag out behind the scenes over this. But I got jumped at. So that's what I'm telling you. There's one example. The other one is where David Fisdale, when he was the coach, he took away Mark Gasol's captaincy, all right, in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. When that and you know that that led to him being gone, that 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 relationship went to hell in a handbasket. But there was a there was like a practice one day, and then a bunch of the elder statesmen, Zebo, Tony Allen, uh, Mike Conley, all those guys. He calls them all in a room and he says, "I'm taking away Mark's captaincy." And they say, "No, do not do this. Don't do this." Right? And and then they came out that night and they had a different lineup. And they had taken away Gasol's captaincy and whatever. And so that is like, what I'm saying is that was like leading up to tonight. And nobody would have any idea how that happens. And so somebody, some reporter got the story that Mike Conley was told he was going to the bench. And something happened between then and game time. And I gave you two times of where I've known examples of that that had nothing to do with, you know, just a coach's, you know, change of heart. Like something probably happened. Somebody standing up. Sometimes an owner can get involved. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that can take place. And so, hell if I know, but I know this. They tried the Ingles thing off the bench at the beginning of the season, and Joe Ingles was awful. And then they brought him back in the mix. And then when Conley was out, and Ingles started to look like old Joe Ingles, you know? And so. He ain't the one, but Conley may not be, a, you know, if you're a front office and you say, we traded Jay Crowder, we traded Grayson Allen, we traded a first round pick, we traded Kyle Carter, you know, we traded all this stuff and we're paying this guy $30 million. You're not bringing him off the friggin' bench, Quinn. Couldn't you see that as a possible scenario? Yeah, I mean, I could just see Conley saying, I'm not doing that. No, I Conley, mean, I've, I've no, 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 no. No, he is not that guy. Trust me on that. Okay. There, there is no way. Mike That's what Conley I was would, wondering. Oh, absolutely not. No. No. That is, that is just not his personality. Mm-hmm. He would never. Mike Conley would never tell them, I'm not coming off the bench. That's just not. It's not that's not him. And even if he was upset with it, he would never let anyone know. 
that's the that's the kind of dude he is. You know, he's the kind of guy that he would just keep on and playing, and he would not he would not let you know that he was. So he mad would say about nothing it. about it. He would be like, he would oh, say, he knows coaching matchup, whatever. That's right. He would just hmm. say, "I'll do whatever." Look, clearly this hasn't you know worked like we wanted it to, and I'm willing to try anything. And I think any of us are willing to try anything to try to make it work. That I I could tell you that just quote word for word probably. You know that is fascinating. Then what happened? That is a nice little uh, little mystery. Yeah, because who knows? Because it was it was reported that he was going to be coming off the bench, and I thought, yeah, oh, there was like a story smart. in the Athletic about it, and they were like, oh yeah, this move is going to help Ingles be a starter, and the story just flips, and it's like actually Ingles come off the bench. Yeah, something happened between that announcement and when it was actually supposed to come to uh, fruition. Um, one guy I did want to mention here, uh, we highlighted a rookie that doesn't get uh, talked about all that much the last time we did a show, and that was Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, maybe Cleveland's got something with him. The most recent is Kobe White, who has... He was getting buckets. Really? You know, I saw him opening night and was incredibly impressed. It might have been one of his best games, seriously, like his first game. He was... I thought this guy is really a bucket getter, um, a dynamic player too, and he's got some he's got some you know uh, some fire to him, and I, and I liked what I saw. And obviously the season has not gone. You just look at the percentages and they're pretty dismal. But the kid has been blazing for the last week. How high were you on Kobe White coming in the draft, and what do we make of this recent uh, scoring spree and uh, getting to play a lot under Jim Boylan finally? See, I was a big Kobe White. I had him at number four. So I, I had it um, Zion Jaw one, two, Clark three, Kobe four. So I really liked him coming out. And I, I knew he could get buckets. He's very, very fast, got good size. I think the concern with him is, is he going to pass the ball? He's actually not passing at all this year compared to how he, he did in college. I think he was at like four, four, five assists in college. He's at two, two and a half. And if you're going to be six foot four and you're not passing the ball, you're probably coming off the bench. And that, so that's the question, right? Is like, because we know you can get buckets, but can you distribute? And you're playing with Zach Levine, you definitely better distribute a little bit. So after seeing him, and we have not, you know, look, he hasn't even played 82 games yet. Do you feel good about that ranking? If you could redo it, would you redo it? I'd still take him over Culver and Barrett, I think, because he can shoot. To me, if you can't shoot anymore, it's just hard to have you too high in these drafts. So you know your role, at least, if you can spread the floor. But is he going to be the player the Bulls need to get over the top? Unless he starts passing, it's hard to see. If you are a new front office, because there were, there were rumors, uh, even reports uh, that came out of uh, the All-Star Weekend that you know Chicago, they were running around, uh, Reinsdorf was running around you know, trying to find replacements for Garform and, and Paxson. So let's say they they bring us in, right? They they decide, you know what? Those guys on the uh the Ringer NBA show, they seem brilliant. We should hire them. And so that I mean knowing what the Bulls do, they might do something like that. <laughs> Their track record. It's never out of the question. So now <laughs> me and you get cop our flights and we go do our press conference. And now our first order of business when you or me me and you are meeting is all right. Now, what are we going to do with this? We got to identify what is our core because we're not going to say it's Levine and White and Markinen and Wendell Carter. Like, I would start with Carter, who's obviously been out, you know, got injured again. Another guy that's lost 
a good portion of a second They need season. to replace their trainers. Their guys always get hurt. It's crazy. So I'm a big Carter fan. Do we look at it and we say we want to – Who if, if we're running the Bulls, we're building with what in mind? To me, when I look at Chicago, they got to get somebody who can make plays for other people. Like who on that team makes life easier for their teammates or raises their game? Like, I need a guy who's going to get assists. <laughs> yeah, because that's not really Sadoransky either. Yeah, he's more of like a secondary guy. He's not very fat. Like to me, if I'm looking at these rebuilding teams, you got to have someone like Ja or someone like Trey Young or like Luca, someone who's going to make life easier and raise the games of everybody else. You need a playmaker. Who's my that, guy? That to me though. is the primary. Who's, who's my guy? Like, all right, so l- l- let's do this exercise. Me and you were sitting down and we're saying, all right, we're going now. We're going to start keeping guys. We're lining them up all on a wall, and we're going to keep guys going forward. Okay, so if I take, uh, say, I take Carter, right? He's probably the guy on their team that I was most high on, of the of the young guys. So I'll I'll keep him, right? I think he's totally solid, okay. and I want him, right? Who's the? And you're probably taking Kobe White. So now we get down to you're. you're t- uh, uh, I'm assuming. No, that, I mean I'd take Levine over Kobe White. You would. Yeah, I mean Levine's proven a proven scorer. Like that's okay, that's then, value in that. Okay, then that's what I'm saying. Do you look at that as duplicates? You know what I mean? If you're saying we got two guys, neither of which particularly make everybody else better, you know, but this is kind of what they do, and we got one of them that's on a rookie contract. I don't know. I mean, this look, you and I probably wouldn't work well together. Because well, these pods went okay. Come on, these are these are the discussions, right? <laughs> you know what I mean. Say, like, what do to I me, need? If I'm, what do I? What do I'm I need? Tackle me scoring for. I lose every night. Well, you still someone's gotta get buckets. Oh, That's great. valuable. Okay, we lose. I think I've got to get a passer. That's like forget everything else. In this draft, I've got to get to me either Lamelo Ball or this guy Killian Hayes in France. I want a big playmaking guard and a pass the ball. All right. Because that's Fair the floor enough. for the that raises the floor for the team as somebody makes everybody else better, and then we'll figure it out all out from there. Well, and how the mighty have fallen. Nobody cares about Markinen now. He's a stretch big man. He's he's been hurt a lot too. He doesn't fit with Boylan, obviously. All right. Last thing. Speaking of college prospects, if I'm going out of my way this weekend, I'm going to try to catch a game because I want to at least have a, a a good awareness or an opinion of uh, prospects. Is there any that I should circle? Okay, the game of the weekend for sure is Auburn-Kentucky. That's going to be on Saturday. So that's got two guys everyone's talking about top 10, and that's Isaac Okoro at Auburn, Tyrese Maxey at Kentucky. And I'm concerned about both players. I'd be curious what you think. So Okoro is a 6'6 wing, but he doesn't really shoot very well. And to me, I look at a guy, I'm not drafting a wing who can't shoot anymore. Like when's the last time a wing who can't shoot has been a great NBA player? Look, and this is really, really, really testing me because now I ha- I'm having to change the way I think about players in terms of guys that I've really liked. And it's a mistake that I've made over the course of the last couple of years because I didn't see it changing as drastically as it did. Now mm-hmm. you can suck on the uh, – you, you can be a bad defender, but if you can shoot the shit out of the ball, you're going to get on the court, right? And – I always liked the guys that I knew at worst they're going to be able to defend. Especially coaches will put you on the court if you're able to really defend. And that 
that whole pendulum has swung, and that's just not so anymore. So, like guys like uh, like Jeremy Evans, right at Cincinnati a couple of years ago, I really liked Jeremy Evans, and it hasn't taken in 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 Golden State. Um, and uh, Javon Carter, another one that you mentioned, I really like Javon, right? But like offense now matters so much more than yeah. being the though. I love the pit bull type players, the guys that are doing anything they can to scratch and uh, claw to do anything. But if they can't, if they can't bang down shots, it's a hard time getting on the court now. And, 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 and it's all, it, I'm, I'm saying all that to lead up to this. You, you, you would probably trip out over this. So I've watched Kentucky as I, as I have watched Auburn. Okay. You know, the one that I really like at the beginning of the year. And I know we struggled recently. The one I, when I watch the games and I say, give me that guy, it's the friggin' Hagen's kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. I watch him and I'm like, this guy, you want to talk about a foxhole guy. I mean, you need a big rebound. You need a stop. You need somebody to slap it off of somebody's leg out of bounds. You need somebody to dive on the floor. You need somebody to fight. Like that kid is there for it. I love him, but he probably can't shoot good enough. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, a like, six-two point guard is a slasher. What's the point anymore? Oh no, I would have taken that kid. That and that is, he is that Hagen's kid, and he may end up being a good pro. I mean, you never know, right? It's not like like what if people would have just discarded Kawhi Leonard because he couldn't he wasn't some kind of great shooter, you know? Like there's some of these guys that are gonna be able to get in the NBA and greatly improve their shot. That they are once not guys that were dead eye guys. But that now all of a sudden, you know, they can knock that shot down with regularity. Um, and okay, that has so Chris, to, that has you know what's interesting about that? Yep. So with Hagen's, this is a good example. So because Hagen's can't shoot, like it's a like pretty simple like, like kind of thought process. Because Hagen's can't shoot, he has to have the ball, which means everybody else around him has to be able to shoot. And that's the question about the guy in Kentucky. It's Tyrese Maxey. Yep. So he's been stuck in a secondary role because he's a better shooter than Hagen's, because they say we can't have Maxi with the ball, Hagen's off the ball. No one's going to guard Hagen's. So now the question is, can Maxi be better in an on-ball role than he is in Kentucky because he's not getting those reps with the ball in his hands because the other guy can't shoot? And that's why Maxi is being talked about as a top five pick, even though he's only getting like 13, 14 points a game and playing off the ball, because the idea is if Maxi was somewhere else with the ball in his hands, he'd be able to do more. And the other thing is this, I will say, Cal Perry, um, who I've covered uh, as I did for many years, this guy is a great evaluator of talent, okay? And there's a lot of guys that he doesn't even use to the, at their maximum that end up in the NBA, and they are much better than they ever showed us, even at Kentucky. And obviously, Devin Booker is the greatest of these. But also Gilgis Alexander for the course exactly. of, you know, SGA, for his time. Yeah. Uh, and you know who the biggest one is? It's Bam. Did anybody oh, watch yeah. Bam and think? So I'm just saying this guy, he's, he, he, he evaluates players and he gets a kind of player. And even sometimes where they don't look like, you know, they're all they're cracked up to be at Kentucky. When they get to the NBA, they're much better NBA players. Now that can be reversed. Because Tyler Eulis didn't have an NBA career, and Kevin Knox has been Kevin uh, Knox. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, he's been he's been abominable, you know, this season. But there are other guys, you know. So there there are both sides of that. But 
generally the Kentucky guys, even if you don't see it completely at Kentucky, there's many times where you see them at the next level and they're they're even better than they ever showed you. You know? Yeah, Kentucky is one of the hardest teams to scout every year. Because oh, every sure. year all the roles change. Every player is kind of being stuck in a role that may not fit their games. And you're kind of have you're really having to guess and evaluate and project forward. Like what I was saying with Maxi, like you're just not seeing what he could be in the NBA because of the role he has in this team. So you're having to look for like small flashes of games. So you're saying, okay, well, Maxi's playing not really a passer, but like on the one or two times he passes in a given night, are those passes good passes? How much can you project forward? And like you were saying with Bam, there wasn't much to go on. And you really had to watch Kentucky very carefully. I didn't think Bam was that good because he was just rolling to the rim at Kentucky, not really being much of a role outside of a catching lobs. Now I guess well, the NBA is role expands. All right. I am going to go out of my way and I'll try to catch that one uh, tomorrow because if nothing else, you get amazing sideline entertainment between Pearl and Calipari. That's true. Those two guys who have a, a long history of being rivals. Sharks, I can't thank you enough for uh, filling in for KOC the last couple of weeks and, and being such a good friend to him also uh, through all of this. He's had a tough a time, uh, but Kevin is going to hopefully be back next week. And uh, thank you so much for filling in while you have. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I just want to thank you all. Have a great little show here. I was glad to pop in. It was a real honor. But obviously, this is KOC's show. I'm glad he's going to be back. We miss you a lot, buddy. And we're Hopefully, this will help, man. Getting back in the rhythm of work and stuff. Getting back to routines. Yeah, my man. Uh, thank you to Bobby Wagner, as always, for producing. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps. And we will talk to you on Tuesday. <laughs>